Hello and welcome to That One Case, the podcast where lawyers share stories of the cases that influenced their careers. My guest today is Kay Van Way, partner at Van Way, Presby and Williams PLLC. Kay is a board certified personal injury trial lawyer with over 30 years experience and she's been named a Texas super lawyer. On today's show, Kay shares with us the story of a client left with a severely injured spine and how this led her to pursue a single doctor in a series of cases who left a string of victims in his wake. He later became more famously known as Dr. Death. Well, the story began as a single case and it's not uncommon in my field of work for a client to contact me or a member of their family and say, a horrible thing happened and the doctor that came in to take care of the patient after the horrible thing happened uh, said to call him or her they'd be happy to cooperate they were very critical and frankly most of the time that doesn't work out that way uh, the doctor you know comes to think about it and decides they don't want to stick their neck out or get involved but in this case um, I contacted the doctor and the doctor was willing to help and the doctor told me and that doctor was Dr. Robert Henderson he told me things that I frankly hadn't heard before in my 30 odd years of practice which was I don't even think this guy's a doctor because no one who had been to medical school and took anatomy 101 could have done this I'm even, Dr. Henderson said, I'm even struggling to figure out what happened. It looked like a bomb went off in this patient's spine. So that's, that's where it all began. Wow. I mean, that's, uh, that's the starter of a, of a day, isn't it? I mean, like, it's the, you don't kind of come to work expecting that to land on your desk, do you? Well, I will say for, for the other lawyer listeners on here that I did something that might be kind of old fashioned to younger lawyers, I got up from my desk and I went to see the client. I went to the hospital where she was and I went to see her. And I think that is very important that there's nothing that I'm doing that makes me so important or too busy to get up and go see her in the hospital. In addition to her physical pain and mental anguish, you know she was sitting there thinking, oh my gosh, What's going to happen to me? I know I've got this lawyer. What are my legal rights? So I went there to, to introduce myself and to comfort her and to tell her, this is my stress now. You are to give me your worries and I'll take it from here. Your, your job is to get well and my job is to worry about everything else. Was there any question in your mind for taking the case? So was it when it was sort of presented to you, was it sort of an immediate, this is something we're going to work on? Or, or were there any kind of questions in your mind? Well, with a medical malpractice case, you always have to do your due diligence, analyze the medical records, talk to your experts or whatever. But <clears throat> I, after talking with Dr. Henderson, I was very confident that um, it was a case that I was going to pursue. But what I thought I was dealing with was what we would call a single event case doctor did something bad to an individual patient um, <clears throat> and probably with a very limited recovery. In Texas, we have caps on damages. Uh, most doctors in Texas uh, have banded together and decided to all carry very, very low 
uh, malpractice insurance coverage. So I really thought I was potentially dealing with a small case. I went to the, it's called the Dallas Trial Lawyers Listserv, uh, an organization I'm a member of, and I just typed in, hey, has anybody heard of a new neurosurgeon in town, Christopher Dutch? And people started responding to say, you gotta call Rob Crane. Well, Rob Crane, he's a former um, president of the Dallas Bar Association, just a lawyer's lawyer. Great guy, great lawyer, ethical lawyer. And I literally, I can still remember just taking my yellow pad when I called Rob and just taking pages and pages and pages and pages of notes because Rob had uh, two of the cases that occurred before my first case, which was Mary Eford. So that's where we began. And then as I began working the Mary Eford case up, um, and there was local media coverage of that, people continued calling me. And every time people would call me, I could not believe that Dr. Dunch was still practicing. And they and I would say, well, where did you have your surgery? You know, somebody would call and say, this doctor operated on me, I woke up paralyzed or whatever. And I would say, well, where did you have this surgery? And they would tell me a new hospital or a new surgery center. So that's how it just developed over time. Wow, um, sort of snowballed. And so what did it kind of uh, amount to? It's obviously you, you thought this was gonna be a small case to start with and, and where did it sort of wind up? Well, it wound up with me representing 10 to 12 of his victims and every hospital or surgery center he ever operated, where he ever operated. There was a tremendously high legal burden because in Texas, we don't have a cause of action for hospitals negligently putting doctors on staff or keeping them on staff. We have a malice standard. And again, we also have these hard caps on non-economic damages. So um, very much a hard uphill battle. But by the time I was in it, I knew what I had signed up for and I was willing to risk hundreds of thousands of dollars of my own investment of case expenses in the case and thousands of hours of work to try to get this guy stopped. Incredible, and how long did it take uh, to, to get this guy stopped? <laughs> what, was, what was the project like overall? It took way too long to get him stopped. In addition to the lawsuits, we were also working to try to get the medical board to stop him, to get the hospitals to revoke his privileges. And it was shocking and alarming how little anyone seemed to care. Um, the medical board was more interested, it seemed, in protecting Dr. Dunch's rights to due process and giving Dr. Dunch the benefit of the doubt. The hospitals were more interested, it seemed, in keeping him in the OR and generating revenue for the hospitals, um, even though the later hospitals knew what had happened at the prior hospitals. They still were willing to chalk this up to, well, you know, maybe it's true, maybe it's not true. We just need this guy in the operating room doing surgeries. The system failed these patients, and here's the thing. People know the name Dr. Death, but I had a very similar case a decade prior 
where there was a local spine surgeon who had a severe cocaine problem and just butchered a ton of people. And I represented about 10 people in those cases as well. And it was the same situation. Um, and the hospital just would not stop him and the medical board just would not stop him. And the problem that creates these doctors, the systemic problems that create these doctors and allow them to go hospital to hospital to hospital, unchecked, still exists. And it's going to take a lot of change. It's literally going to take an act of Congress. And I mean that literally. My hope with the popularity of the podcast and the various television shows and whatnot that are coming out is that politicians will realize that their constituents want them to fix these problems and that it will become um, popular or advantageous for politicians to take up the cause and make the changes. But thus far, there's been very little interest in anyone at a level that can make a change, at the level of Congress to make these changes. Wow, well, congratulations. I mean, thank you for the work that you did there. I mean, it seems like a pretty important thing that you contributed to in, in terms of um, making sure that uh, he was no longer able to <laughs> to practice, right? Um, so I think that's fantastic. Were there any, I always like to ask about learnings. Was there anything you learned from this, the process of this case that you have taken away as a, as a lesson as a lawyer? I mean, with such great experience, I wonder if there's anything kind of fresh that you took away from this case that, uh, yeah, that you learned. Well, I don't know that I, I learned it from this case, but it reinforced with me that we as lawyers, we do have the power to effectuate change and to sort of transcend a single case and make it more of a cause. And anyone can do that. And it's the best of what our profession can do for not only individuals, but for society. And, you know, I'm much older and I've practiced a very long time, but that that is my renewed passion and focus is trying to use litigation to improve patient safety, to be honest, to effectuate changes in the system so that I can help more people beyond just my clients. Kay raises a great point that the work of a lawyer can mean so much more than justice for people one case at a time and that they can, in fact, uh, affect much greater change to systems and society. So my enormous thanks to Kay for sharing her story with us today. If you want to find out more about Kay and Vanway, Presby and Williams PLLC, you can find all the links in the show notes over at thatonecase.com. And if you did enjoy today's episode, please do share it with one person you think would also find it interesting. I really would appreciate that. All the details on how to listen are over at thatonecase.com. Thanks for joining us and we'll see you again next time as Dwayne Mathewitz tells us the story of That One Case. <laughs> <laughs>